Well, hey, everybody, we are concluding uh, a series today, and the name of the series has been Deeply Satisfied. So if you happen to be here for the very first time or you're visiting, um, that's okay. Just know that we are wrapping up uh, a conversation that we've been having for quite a while now, Um, and the conversation has been about digital technology and deep satisfaction. Now, I want to begin by showing you um, just a really short video. It's about a new uh, phone option that's available. It's called the Light Phone. It was created by um, a couple of 25-year-olds, so take a look. The Light Phone 2. It's a choice. How will you choose to spend your life today? We call it going light. You see, our time and attention are the two most important things we often take for granted. Does being so connected actually make us any happier? It's why we've designed a phone to be used as little as possible. It has a few essential tools, a thoughtful interface, and a black and white matte display. We're humans, and we're taking back our lives. Okay, so uh, disclaimer, I'm not trying to sell you a phone or a product uh, today, Um, but I saw this, and I thought there's some really powerful ideas here, right? Our time and attention are the two most important things we often take for granted. Does being so connected actually make us any happier? We're humans, and we're taking back our lives. Um, There's a growing movement of people that have come to these same conclusions over the last several years that... Um, Our smartphones, and really um, all digital technology, all of the different devices we have, but particularly this one, um, our smartphones, in a unique way, have co-opted our attention, our affections, and our allegiance. And we're not really any happier, we're not uh, any more fulfilled, in fact, we're deeply unsatisfied. And so more and more people are making the same declaration, right? We're humans, and we want to take our lives back. By the way, uh, younger people are coming to this conclusion uh, faster than any other demographic. As I said, this new phone option was created by a couple of 25-year-olds. And while statistics show that um, people in their teens and 20s tend to be on their phones at higher rates more than everybody else, they are also the ones that are becoming more dissatisfied and starting to do something about it more than any other group of people. They want to experience all that life has to offer, what life was meant to be. Now, the reason we have talked about this at church for the last couple of months is because that desire for deep satisfaction is true of all of us, right? And what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves, our faith, we think speaks directly to this. In fact, there's a a passage in the book of Psalms. We've read it in the past, but it talks about the fulfillment of our desires. And I want to read it again this morning. Look at this. 
The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So in this prayer, probably written by David, uh, he says every living thing that has been made, right? every creature has this hunger. And at one level, it's a hunger just for food. Right, it's a hunger uh, for food. This need that we have to uh, for food to sustain us, to nourish us, to uh, replenish us, and to satisfy us. But at a bigger and much broader level, this is really about all of our desires. It's about all of the things that we yearn for, all of the things that we long for. It's about our deepest needs. All of the things in life will nourish us. And satisfy us. And what David realizes is we will be nourished and we will be satisfied. Our desires will be filled when we look to God. When our eyes are on Him and we receive what He has to offer us. Now, uh, this is not to suggest something very simple and trite like this. Don't find your satisfaction in your phone. Find your satisfaction in God. Okay, or here's another one. Um, Follow Jesus, not your favorite celebrity. Or maybe it could be this. uh, Choose God, not your phone. Right. As if there's only two options in front of you. You can either have your satisfaction in God or you can find your satisfaction in your phone. But that's not what these verses are saying. And that's not what we have been suggesting or thinking about uh, for quite a while now. The more accurate way to think about all of this, is that God has given us very tangible, physical, earthy, everyday means by which we can experience His goodness and satisfaction in our lives. Uh, So one of them is work, right? When we are doing meaningful, purposeful work, whether it's in our jobs or our careers or it's raising kids, right? That can be deeply satisfying. Um, Another is leisure, When you're resting from work, uh, when you're doing things or pursuing things that are not essential for your survival, but they're satisfying in and of themselves, think about things like enjoying hobbies, playing games, playing sports, being active, right? Making things, creating things, fixing things, learning skills, enjoying the beauty of creation, Another thing that is uh, satisfying is meaningful relationships with other people. We spent a lot of time last week talking about this. The significance of genuine and authentic friendships and community in our lives. It's also deeply satisfying when we spend some time alone. Alone with our thoughts, alone with ourselves, and alone with God. It's also satisfying when we serve other people. When you're generous with your resources and you do something that makes someone else's life better. When you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. Right? So we could go on and on. And we spent some focused time over the last few weeks uh, talking about some of these things. But all of them are opportunities. All of them are things that God gives to us. And he teaches this us about these things in scripture. They are the very means by which we experience the satisfaction we were made to experience. 
There's that sense. Have you ever felt it when you're doing really meaningful work or when you accomplish something or when you're doing something fun or when you're hanging out with other people or when you're serving others? There's that sense. This is what it means to be human. But of course, we also now have these devices, which like all technological advances, can do some cool and interesting things, right? They can be really entertaining. And in fact, they can help us be more efficient than we've ever been before at doing lots of different things. But they also provide an artificially sweet unsatisfying substitute to the real food that we truly need. They've stolen our attention as well. So we're no longer looking to the things or to the one who provides the real and the deep and the meaningful satisfaction. So what do we do about this? Well, I want to pull together everything that we've discussed over the past couple of months Um, by giving you just one more analogy to think about all of this, and then uh, a few key principles or sort of takeaways or action steps that we can all walk away with. So uh, analogies are helpful in our lives. We need them, especially when there's something new in our life that we don't know how to get our minds around. Now, I get it. If you're a teenager, having a smartphone is not new to you. It's all you've ever known. But nobody had these devices 15 years ago. No one lived in a world dominated by digital technology the way we do now, 15 years ago. So we have this new era, and we have these new devices that have made such a huge impact, and we don't even really have anything to compare them to. right? We know we can do so many amazing things on these devices. We also know they distract us in lots of unhelpful and harmful ways. In fact, every scientific study is now Showing that. So is there an analogy for how we can think about this? Is there anything else in our lives that is kind of like this? Well, here's one. A number of thinkers and writers have suggested that maybe we should think about digital technology the way we think about alcohol. And it's not the perfect analogy. It probably falls short in some ways. But think about it for a second. Alcohol consumption is optional. We don't need it to survive, right? We can live without it. Just like we can live without Netflix or Snapchat or Instagram or or having a camera on our phone. We have lots of other camera options. But many of us really enjoy alcohol. Not all of us, right? But many of us enjoy the taste of a good craft beer, a glass of wine, a mojito on the beach in Cancun, right? It's genuinely pleasurable, For many people, just like so many things that we can do on our phone is genuinely pleasurable. We wouldn't be doing them all the time if there wasn't some sensation or stimulation of pleasure. But we also know that alcohol is incredibly dangerous because of its health effects and addictive quality. We know that regular, consistent consumption of alcohol, even in smaller doses, is detrimental to our bodies and to our brains. If you ever listen to Huberman, he just did this super long podcast all about this. And we know that its addictive quality has destroyed so many lives. There's a reason that we need AA groups. Because what is pleasurable can so quickly become 
dangerous without even realizing it can become harmful and destructive. And the person who is addicted to alcohol often gets to a place where they feel powerless to do anything about it. There's a recognition of a problem and there's a desire to change, but the desire does not stand a chance in the face of the power of addiction. So now think about our digital devices. The Atlantic Magazine published an article a couple of years ago entitled, Social Media is Attention Alcohol. After looking at all of the internal research put out um, and internal documents by social media companies themselves, uh, here's what the writer of the article said. A fair summary of Instagram, according to Instagram, might go like this. Here is a fun product that millions of people seem to love that is unwholesome in large doses that makes a sizable minority feel more anxious, more depressed, and worse about their bodies, and that many people struggle to use in moderation. He goes on, what does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like alcohol, a social lubricant that can be delightful, but also depressing, a popular experience that blends short-term euphoria with long-term regret. A product that leads to painful and even addictive behavior among a significant minority. Like booze, social media seems to offer an intoxicating cocktail of dopamine, disorientation, and for some, dependency. Call it attention alcohol. Uh, there's another writer. His name is Justin Whitmill Early. Um, many of you know him. He's a follower of Jesus. Um, he's a lawyer, uh, but he's written a number of books about faith and about the power of habits in our lives. And he agrees with this analogy. He says this, social media should be seen like alcohol. Some people should abstain. Everyone should approach with caution and no one should use without limits. Now, um, both of these writers are singling out social media in particular, but I think what they're saying applies more broadly to all of the ways we use our digital devices. And as Justin Whitmill Early says, some of us just need to, to abstain. Right? Some of us are so prone to distraction or so deep in digital habits that have been formed over years that we need to admit there's a significant problem. And in order to address it, it's going to have to take some radical action. Maybe it is buying the light phone. Maybe it's talking with a pastor or a therapist or, or someone who can help you make significant changes. Right? The reason that perhaps you haven't made the significant changes in your life is because it's almost impossible to make those on your own. We just don't have the willpower that's strong enough. We need some brand new habits, and for that, we need some outside help. So some of us truly do need to abstain. And my, my gut feeling is that might be like 20 to 30% of us. Right? It's not a small number. Some of us probably need an intervention, a, a cold turkey approach, a go-to-AA, go-to-rehab kind of approach. But, as Early says, everyone should approach this topic with caution. And that's really been the point of this entire series, to spend a couple of months just sort of waving the caution flag to say, hey, these things can be dangerous. 
Right? Yes, they can be enjoyed. And what we do on here can be enjoyed in, in small and limited doses. But it can also, without even realizing it, steal our attention and our affections and our allegiance and the deep satisfaction that we were all made for. And most importantly, he says, no one should use these devices without limits. So we need to be purposeful. We need to be really intentional. We need to determine what are these devices actually beneficial for? What do they help us in our lives and with our well-being? And then how do we limit ourselves from everything else that is not beneficial or helpful to our well-being? So let me close by outlining uh, three principles or, or action steps, if you will, that I hope you can take with you and that will stick with you. Number one, Count the cost of digital clutter. This is one of Cal Newport's primary principles in his book, uh, Digital Minimalism, all about this issue. It's to really count the cost of all of our digital clutter. That all of the time we spend on our devices that are not useful all of the extra apps that we have, all of the notifications that we get, all of the shows that we watch, all of the tabs that we have open, all of the accounts that we have to manage, it all comes at a great cost. It's costly to our time. It's costly to our attention. It's a costly to our focus. It's costly to our souls. It's costly to our families. It's costly to our relationships. It's costly to our joy. It's costly to our mental and emotional health. It's very, very costly. And we have to start there. Uh, number two, define benefits honestly. So this is where we have to just develop a technology use policy or philosophy, if you will. If being on uh, my device all the time is costing so much, and we know it is, right, then what are the benefits? And this is where you might have to get really, really specific and granular. Okay, what are the benefits of playing games for 45 minutes every single day like I do? Or what are the benefits of every single app that I tend to use on my phone? Or what are the benefits of actually uh, having my phone in my pocket with me 24-7? What are the benefits of it being the first thing that I look at every morning and the last thing that I look at every night? These are the questions that we have to ask. And you have to be really honest here. I mean, there are some uh, things on our devices that have virtually no benefit, only cost. Now, to be fair, most of the stuff we do is a mixed bag. There's some benefit, there's some cost. And so we have to be honest about what those are. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, so for instance, maybe you have a membership to a museum here in town or to the Botanic Gardens, right? And so the museum has an app, and whenever you go there, you can just pull it out, scan a barcode on your phone, and you get in. The benefit is pretty clear. It's easier than printing out a ticket. It's faster when you go through the line. And the cost is pretty low, right? You're never going to be tempted throughout the day to scroll through the museum's app, right? It's just not going to happen. You use this thing only for its benefit. But here's another example. Having email and Slack apps on your phone. The benefit is convenience. 
If we use Slack at work, I can, I can check Slack or I can check my email when I'm not near my computer. But if I'm near my computer most of the day and I can check Slack and email multiple times a day on my computer, is there really a significant benefit in also being able to do that on my phone? And what's the cost? The cost is every single time I pull out the device, which on average is 150 times a day, I'm bombarded with new email messages. I'm bombarded with new Slack messages that are pulling my attention away and making me think I need to be checking even more than I'm checking now because I might miss something important. And so we have to get really honest about the benefits and about the costs. And most of the time, for me, I overestimate the benefits and I underestimate the costs. So here's the third step. Number three is establish new practices and limits. Now I've suggested some practices all throughout this series. Um, You might get rid of certain apps on your devices that uh, have a much greater cost than benefit, right? Now, you might lose the really small benefit it offers, but the cost is so much greater that you realize it's not worth it. It's a sacrifice that's worth making. You might also choose to have specific times during the day or uh, during the weekend where you engage social media, or you play games, or you watch TV, right? You just schedule it, and you say, here's the times where we're going to watch Netflix. Here's the times where I'm going to check Facebook, or I'm going to play Roblox, or Xbox, or whatever it is. But outside of those times that I've scheduled, I'm not going to do it. That's setting a limit. And there's other things you can do to make uh, your digital device uh, less appealing, because that's part of what pulls our attention away, is this It's just appealing, right? And so some people will change their entire screen to grayscale instead of full color. So it makes it less fun to just stare at all day long. Um, There's also some apps you can use. I'll just list a few up here. There's apps like Clear Space or Blank Spaces or Rescue Time or Freedom or Screen Zen. Um, These can simplify your device. Uh, they can help you set some limits. If you already set some limits, it can, it can block certain apps during certain times. Um, there's even one of them, Screens In, that will, um, every time you open one of the apps you set up, like it'll actually pop up this thing. It'll say, are you sure you want to open YouTube for a seventh time today? Right? <laughs> and then even if you hit yes, it pauses 10 seconds until it opens it up. So to just sort of stop you from that mindless, like scrolling through and opening something just to give you the time to think about it. It's kind of like saying, do you really need a fifth beer tonight, right? Now, some of these apps and some of these tech helps can be useful. But let me just offer a quick warning. They can also be like the newest diet fad that you try for a few weeks and then you give up on. What's more important before you try any sort of app or tech solution to this is to not skip the first two steps, to really count the cost and to define the benefits honestly. And when you do that, chances are you'll realize there's some new practices and some new limits that I need in my life. And perhaps 
an app or a tech solution will help you in setting those new practices and limits, but the focus will be on the practices and the limits. Now, let me conclude by saying this is not easy. Right? Going to AA, admitting that you have a significant problem, that is not easy. It's one of the hardest things in the world. Changing habits that have been formed subconsciously over years of living them out, it is not easy. Uh, Making some time and space to sit down and think about this and talk about it and analyze it and then make some important decisions when none of this, by the way, seems urgent at all in our lives. This does not feel urgent at all. But making the space to do that, it is not easy. But Jesus is with us. And he's helping us along in this process. And he gives us a vision of a life that's more abundant if we trust in him. And in fact, he said this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. By the way, righteousness just means a life ordered rightly. A life ordered rightly with God, with other people, with everything in our lives. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a life that is ordered rightly, for they will be filled, satisfied, made whole. My prayer is that we as a community of faith would be on this journey together, that we could help each other, we could support each other along, that we could encourage one another, and that we would actually represent a group of people who are taking their lives back and experiencing the deeper satisfaction that Jesus offers to us. Let me pray for us. God, we all do have these deeper longings. And we're all aware that there are moments and times in our life where we ask, is there more? Life doesn't consist in just moving from thing to thing and being busy and distracted, but there has to be more. And we taste it and we experience it, but maybe less than we desire. And so, God, we know that you are the father of all good gifts and that you offer us so many means to experience the deep satisfaction and the deep joy and the deep contentment that we were made to experience. And so as we reflect on our lives and as we uh, live out and voice that desire, I pray that you will help us to trust in you. I pray all this in your name. Amen.